All right, this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. We'll focus our study this morning on verse 14, but some of the other verses will be relevant to our discussion this morning as well. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which this verse was also referenced during Sunday school this morning as we studied Matthew chapter 1. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to a divided nation that had turned its back on God. And when you turn your back on God, everything goes downhill and everything falls apart. That's, that's just reality. That's what happens. Times in Isaiah's day were dark. Times in that nation's history were dark. The nation was in decline spiritually. They were turning to idolatry. The station, the, they were losing their moral compass. They were losing their purpose. They were declining spiritually. They were declining morally. With this moral decline, you saw uh, an increase in child abuse, an increase in sexual immorality. You saw an increase in horrific things that should never happen. And the nation was declining physically as well. They were beginning to lose their battles with their enemies. Their economy was suffering. They were falling apart as a country. The nation was in decline. And they were also being invaded, which is the setting for our verse today. They were facing a major invasion. The nation suffered all of these problems because they turned their back on God. And we need to be able to see the connection between turning our backs on God and our own personal decline. When you turn your back on God, darkness follows. When you turn the light out, darkness fills the room. It's just the nature of things. And so here we have the nation in Isaiah's day, and they are facing this invasion. They have an evil king, and as Isaiah is speaking to them, he gives them verse 14, which gives us the prophecy of the virgin birth, which Matthew records was fulfilled when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. Even the name Emmanuel is interpreted in Matthew chapter 1 as meaning God with us. And we talked about that this morning, what it means for God to be with us. This speaks to the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he was God in flesh. But it also speaks to us that God loved us to the point that he became man and dwelt among us. It speaks to us in that God, by living among us as one of us, developed this empathy for us. It gives him the empathy with us, that he can hear our prayers and respond to our prayers. And his divinity gives him the power to redeem us, which he did on the cross. God being with us means much more than his presence being with us. It also means he's for us. And we talked about what that means this morning. We talked about in Sunday school how God being for us means that he is for our redemption. He is for our salvation. He is for receiving us into his kingdom. He wants us to get to the point where he'll receive us into his throne room one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But the prophecy of the virgin birth comes as God was dealing with an evil king. And as God was dealing with this evil king, he was offering this evil king his help. His help. He was going to deliver this evil king from the invasion that was coming. The nations surrounding the southern kingdom of Judah were lining up to invade Judah, to destroy Judah, to destroy King Ahaz's kingdom. And God told Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah that the invasion would not stand, that he would put it down, that he would defend the kingdom, that he would restore the kingdom. But God wanted Ahaz to trust him for it. He wanted Ahaz to turn to him. And so he gives this offer. He says 
to ask for a sign, either in the depth or in the height above, in verse 11. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Ahaz was, in essence, telling God that his services were not required here. And so God gave the sign of the virgin birth to tell Ahaz and to tell us that God's redemption is here. But whether or not we receive and benefit from that redemption is up to us. And from this, we learn, first of all, that God will redeem anyone. Anyone who repents and turns to him, God will redeem that person. Secondly, we learn that God has provided the way of redemption through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> before we were known as Christians, we were known as the people of the way, the way of redemption, the way of salvation. And we learn that we must repent and receive Christ if we are to receive that redemption. So first, let's look at the fact that God will redeem anybody. We have to understand that King Ahaz here is an evil king that he's talking to in Isaiah chapter 7. And we read in verses 7 through 11 in Isaiah 7, he says, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, the it being the invasion that's coming, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Second Chronicles chapter 28 tells us just how evil Ahaz was as a king. He brought in idolatry. He built places of worship for false gods. Some of these false gods that he brought in that he that he promoted worship of involved child sacrifice. In fact, he sacrificed some of his own children on this altar. How awful is that? How horrible is that? How grotesque is that? We can't even conceive of such a thing. How evil do you have to be to sacrifice one of your own children? This is an evil man. This is a horrible man. Every horrible thing you can imagine about this man, he is probably worse. He is probably worse. But to accomplish his will in defending the southern kingdom of Judah, God offers help to Ahaz. And not only does God offer help to Ahaz, but God offers redemption to Ahaz. God offered his help. You think about how evil Ahaz is, and the fact that God was willing to redeem him, of all people. You know, there's a joke in Texas that, you know, he just needed killing is a valid defense for homicide. That's not true, but it, it has been said and it has been joked about. You know, Ahaz is one of those guys that you could make the case he just needed killing. But yet God was willing to redeem him. God was willing to save him. Now, if God is willing to offer his help to a king as evil as Ahaz, what makes you think that he will not redeem you? Is there anything that you've done that's worse than what King Ahaz did? 
Is there anything you've done worse than Ahaz that you believe will keep you out of the kingdom of God, will keep you from going to heaven? Now, if you're thinking and you're like, yeah, actually, Leland, there is something, then that's something we can praise God for because you have the humility and godly sorrow over sin it takes to bring you to repentance and faith and God can save you. Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call the sinners to repentance. What is it in your life that you believe will disqualify you from heaven? I talk to people and they say, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough to get into heaven. Why don't you think you're going to be good enough? What is it that makes you think that you're not good enough to get into heaven? That's the sin to confess to God, to confess to God, to repent from, and to trust him to cleanse you from and to receive you into his kingdom. Confess that sin to God and repent and trust him to forgive you. Maybe you don't think the sin is as bad as anything that Ahaz did, but you still think it's pretty bad. Then confess that sin to the Lord. If God is willing to offer his help to Ahaz, what makes you think that he will not redeem you? And if God is willing to offer his help to a man like Ahaz, what makes you think that he will not help any of your neighbors? Your neighbors may be some rotten people. They may be horrible. And by neighbors, I may mean the guy next door, or it may be somebody that you know of in town that you just can't stand. You know, sometimes we have a headline that comes across our news feed that, that depicts a crime that was committed that is so heinous, it just angers us, and it grieves us. And we want to see justice carried out in this case. And sometimes what they've done ranks right up there with what Ahaz did and offering his children to the false god Molech. But what makes us think that there are people in our society beyond redemption? Knowing that God will redeem anybody who repents and believes, should we not be busy sharing the gospel with others? These headlines of these horrific crimes that get committed, they come from a lostness, they come from a darkness, they come from a godlessness. They come from an evil, and that evil is the absence of God. And sometimes this is multi-generational. Sometimes you have generations of people who have grown up, lived and died without God, lived and died without his gospel, lived and died without his light. You think, how is that possible in a town that has reportedly more churches per capita than any other city in the state of Texas? How is that possible? You will be surprised at how many people do not know the gospel. And they don't know the gospel many times because the churches in town don't know the gospel. That is, a, that is a major problem in Christianity. Ask somebody, what is the gospel? And, and they'll give you different answers. Nobody really knows what it is. We just use the term, the gospel, the good word. The gospel, if you've been around here any length of time, you know the gospel is how Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ died for our sins. And the sins that we have are many. And the sins that we have are grotesque. And they, are, they, they deserve God's wrath. But he took that wrath upon himself so that we could be saved. And that brings us to our next point, that God provided the way of redemption through Jesus Christ. In verse 14, the, the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord, speaking God's word says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz needed redemption. The nation that Ahaz ruled needed redemption. And God offered that redemption through Christ. 
and so that they would know who to look for, so they would know who Christ would be, who is this Christ, and how will we know that this is really him? God offered the sign of the virgin birth. We needed redemption. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know that there was a time in your life that you needed redemption, and you turned to God for that redemption. If you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, if you've never had that moment that you have turned from your sin and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you still need that redemption. You still need God's salvation. That redemption is given through Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God, born of a virgin, who was God in flesh, that word Emmanuel, who went willingly and purposefully to the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be spared the wrath of God. Oh yes, the sins of Ahaz need judgment. And Ahaz is reaping the eternal consequence of his decisions right now. But Christ took the wrath of God on his behalf, believe it or not. The sin of my life, God has taken that and put that on Jesus as Jesus hung on the cross. Christ has taken the wrath of God on my behalf. Christ has taken the wrath of God on your behalf. And that's what he did on the cross. He did this so that we can be cleansed, so that we can be redeemed. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-2 through 2 says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation. That's a, that's a nice word, propitiation. Y'all say that, propitiation. Propitiation. That's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word because it's big and it makes you sound smart. But the main reason it's a beautiful word is what it means. It is a price paid to God to settle a sin debt. That's what that word means. He is the propitiation now, isn't that a beautiful word now that you know that definition? He is the propitiation. I'm really stuck on that. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate. We have a redeemer. And it is all because he is the propitiation for our sins. He went to the cross to take the wrath of God on our behalf. That's what he did on the cross. That's what we look to. How do I know that I'm going to be good enough to get into heaven? I know that I am not good enough to get into heaven. That's the, that's, the, that's the riddle. That's the secret. That's the solution. I am not good enough to get into heaven. But Jesus Christ is good enough to get into heaven. He's in heaven. He is my advocate. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God where he ever lives to make intercession for me. Because he took God's wrath for my sins upon himself, God is no longer looking for judgment for my sins. And so now all I need is his good grace and his good word to say, Father, he's one of ours, and he'll receive me into his kingdom, and I trust him to do that, and it will work the same way for you. Because he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Which means that there is no one that you will see that God is incapable or unwilling to save. And this is why we need to be more active as a church in spreading the gospel and putting the message of salvation out there and telling people that this is really what it's about. That Christianity is not about quitting drinking and quitting smoking and watching G-rated movies and never having an ounce of fun ever again. I'm going to tell you, the fun that I have now is a lot more fun than the fun I used to have, and it doesn't hurt as bad. Okay, the day after is a lot more pleasant. But all that notwithstanding, that's not the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity is not starting a business and becoming wealthy as a, re as a result of the business. 
the point of Christianity is not looking to spirituality in order to achieve all of my wildest hopes and fantasies and dreams. The point of Christianity is that redemption, that my best days are always ahead of me because the eternal kingdom of Christ is always ahead of me. The point of Christianity is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, not the, the sins of the world, yes, but more specifically, your sins on the cross so that you can be saved. I don't think people know this. I don't think people understand this. I think they know that they have a vague idea of Jesus. They have a vague idea of the cross. But I don't think that the gospel is present in our society enough that this message is adequately being spread. And that's not just our fault. That's the fault of all the churches. But we do need to be more proactive in putting this message out there. And in the weeks ahead, I'm going to put forth some ideas for how we can do that. And, and, and some ways that we can do that within our capabilities as a church and within our capabilities as individuals to do that. But everything we good that we hope for, everything good that we look forward to, everything good that we believe in, it all comes through Jesus Christ. It all comes through Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have. That is the faith that we have. That's the expectation we have. And that's the message that we have for others. And the, 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 the thing is, we have to, first of all, assess, did we accept it? Do I know the Lord is my Savior? The Bible says in, uh, in 1 Peter to make your calling and election sure. Have you made your calling and election sure? And I have. The second thing is, do those around us know the Lord is their Savior? God has given us the choice to accept or to reject that redemption. In verses 12 through 14, Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz said that he would not ask for a sign. God says, ask me for a sign. I want to show you my power. I want to show you what I can do for you. Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask. And I'm not even going to test your power. I don't even want to know. I don't want to deal with this. And you know what? A lot of people don't want to deal with it. They don't want to know. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to see God work in their lives because they don't want to deal with the idea that there is a deity that has authority over their lives. They don't want to deal with the existence of God. They don't want to deal with their sin and the need to repent from their sin. They want to continue doing what they've always done. And this is a prominent mindset in our society today. Ahaz said that he would not ask for God's help. He would not test the Lord's power. He did not want to see God at work. Ahaz basically told God, your services are not wanted here. Ahaz would rather lose his life, would rather lose his soul, and would rather lose his kingdom than turn to the Lord. He would try everything but God. And he would accept destruction and failure without God. That's foolish. And there are people today who are willing to try everything but God. They are willing to, drop, to try drugs to bring peace. They are justifying themselves, well, I had to do it that way, to ease their conscience. They try Eastern religion and dropping out to find themselves. I saw a picture on Facebook of the, it was this hippie guy wearing the, the Where's Waldo hat and the glasses and the Where's Waldo uh, sweater. And the caption read, in the end, Waldo found himself. I, I, I did find that funny. I'm not going to lie to you. 
But, you know, finding yourself doesn't mean you light a candle and incense and sit in your closet, um, legs crossed, and, and hold your hands up like this and say, ohm, for, you know, two or three hours, and, and then somehow you find yourself. But people are trying different things to find themselves. They're leaving their marriages, or leaving their homes, or leaving their jobs, or leaving God's blessings and his presence to find themselves. And what exactly are you looking for? People are trying everything but God to find healing. People are trying everything but God to find peace. People are trying everything but God to find a good conscience. People are trying everything but God to find deliverance. And the things that they seek, peace, healing, good conscience, deliverance, hope, a confident expectation of the future, knowing that everything's going to be okay, everything that they are looking for can only be found through Jesus Christ. The sign of the virgin birth is not just a prophecy of hope. It is a prophecy of hope. This is who you look for. This is who the blessing comes through. But it's also a prophecy of judgment. The prophecy of the virgin birth was an indictment against Ahaz. You may reject the sign, but here is the sign. He's going to be born of a virgin. And you're going to be held accountable for how you responded to him. It will serve as an indictment against anyone who rejects our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that indictment will lead to a judgment and a punishment that is beyond anything that we can imagine. I have a friend, her family was victimized by a violent crime, and it looks like the perpetrator of that violent crime is going to get away with it. And I told her, I said, this may not bring you much comfort now, but it will. I said, whatever you wanted the Texas Department of Criminal Justice to do to him, I said, God's going to take care of him. And whatever you imagine the state of Texas doing to him, what God will do will be a lot more severe. The indictment will lead to a judgment and a punishment that is beyond anything we can imagine. The idea of the judgment of God should not only drive us to Christ to escape his judgment, but should have us pulling others alongside of us. But the decision to accept the gospel, the decision to accept salvation, this is a reasoned decision. This is a deliberate decision that is made. It's not something that just happens. It's not just a gradual change that happens. There is a moment that you make the decision to turn from your sin and to turn toward the Lord. And that's why God said in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The decision to repent, believe, and thus be cleansed of all sin is a deliberate decision. It is one that you conscientiously make. It's one that you think about and make. Have you made that choice to repent from your sins and to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I think one of the great tragedies of our day is that we literally do have a church on every corner, almost, in Brown, in Brown County, Texas. Most of y'all drove past about four or five of them to get here. But I mean, let's be honest. I don't think the fact that there's that many churches is a tragedy. What I think is a tragedy is people will sit in the seats in those churches. And I'm sure at some point they hear the gospel. I don't want to tell you that every other church has missed the point. But I'm sure those churches are, the, the, the gospel's out there. We need to make it more out there. But isn't it a tragedy that we have all these churches? We have all these preachers on the radio. You can turn on, there's, there's at least one radio station, I think two. One has full-time preaching on it. One has preaching sometimes in Christian music. 
the other time. Then there's another station that has Christian music on it. To have that, to go through this Christmas season every year, year after year, average American lives to be about 85, 85 years old. So let's just say to go through this season 85 times, hearing the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Hearing songs and hymns about heaven, looking forward to the eternity in God's kingdom, but missing out on it because they never took the time to turn from their sins and to trust Jesus. They never took the time to make that decision to trust in the Lord. That, to me, is a great tragedy. It's a great tragedy. And there's no reason for that to be any of our stories. And we ought to be motivated to keep it from being our neighbor's story as well. We've got a good week lined up this week. Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve, Saturday night at 6.30. We've got services on Christmas morning. We'll forego Sunday school, just have worship at 11 a.m. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to have time, hopefully, with family. Maybe just time to stop and be at peace with God yourself. It's wonderful. But let's not miss the point. And the point is our redemption in Jesus Christ. If you've never made that decision to turn from your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let today be the day that you make that decision. If you've made that decision, let that decision be what drives you. This morning we talked about reasons we get out of bed. And we talked about what drives God. What drives God is salvation. What should drive us should be our redemption in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.